when we're talking about the privilege of prayer, I just you know want to ask this question. You don't necessarily need to ask out loud or answer out loud, but how is prayer for you? How is your prayer life with Jesus? You know, um, maybe another way to ask that question is if there if there were a way to improve or strengthen your prayer life with Jesus, how would you want that to happen? And in what ways? And, and if, are there ways that you're actually going about that? So today, you know, we've, we've kind of been going through the, the last few weeks. We've been going through John chapter 14, 15, and 16, kind of in reverse order. We started with 16, then 15, and today we'll do 14. But we've been looking at this privilege of prayer uh, from the farewell discourses of Jesus because kind of like the famous last words, these are things that, that Jesus really wants his disciples to latch on to. And so go with me there to John 14. We're going we're gonna to take a look here at some of the... I'll be honest with you. This is a passage that, um, that I hesitate to read every time, <laughs> every time I go over it. And it's because of this. Not because I don't believe it, but because these promises are so great that I sometimes feel that they're out of reach. I'll just be honest with you about that, okay? This is John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. This is, you know, when I'm reading through John 14, I I love the promises, you know, uh, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Uh, In my Father's house, you know, many mansions. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you. I'm going to prepare a place so that where I go there, you may be also. Those are things I love to read. But then when it comes to verse 12, 13, and 14, these are things that like totally wow me, but I hesitate to read. And receive. But I believe that Jesus wants us to know this, not just on an intellectual level, but on an experiential level. So go with me there. John 14, verse 12. If you're there, say, I found it. All right, all right. John 14, verse 12. If you don't have a Bible, uh, maybe share with your neighbor or something. There's some probably Bibles under under your seat or the seat in front of you. John 14, verse 12. I'm reading from the New King James Version. And the very first two words of my Bible says this. Most assuredly. (laughs) So whatever is going to come forth subsequent to these words, Jesus wants to have, or Jesus wants us to have not just some assurance, but most assurance about these things. Okay? Most assuredly. Actually, in the Greek, it's, it's two words. Amen, amen. Uh, maybe you've heard of the word amen, yeah? Amen means true that, right? <laughs> That's truth, mm-hmm, you know? But when, uh, when the Greek uh, language constructs it one after the other, it's like doubly so that's true, okay? That's why the New King James translated it as most assuredly. You can be absolutely certain about that. In fact, um, if you look up <clears throat> amen, amen in the New Testament, that phrase, it only shows up in John's Gospel, and it shows up 25 times in John's Gospel. It's a fun study to do if you ever want to. Maybe you have the New King James. Just look up whenever most assuredly comes up. And there's, there's a ton of things that Jesus wants us to know of most assurance. And I think, I think that the, the Gospel of John is written in that way. You know, John's Gospel was written last of the four Gospels. Probably the last, you know, I think it was in the AD 90 by the time this, this Gospel is written. He's the last disciples standing, so to speak. So there's kind of, in the Christian community, there's kind of this sense of, oh man, the first generation of believers, what's, 
what's going to happen, you know, after he's gone? And so John is really uh, intentional about saying, no, 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 there's most assurance here still. Okay, amen, amen. So he strings that out throughout his, uh, his gospel. He's intent on underscoring that followers of Jesus, whether in that generation or subsequent generations, really have something to anchor their faith in. Right? Towards the end of the gospel, in John chapter 20, verse 31, he says why he's writing this book in the first place. Is, I've written all these things so that you might believe, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Right? That's chapter 20, verse 31. So, in chapters 14 through 16, we have this most assurance, most assurance, amen, amen, assurance. And this is really kind of now with Jesus' face, like full on towards the intense trial that's upon him. Okay, so in the face of intense trial ahead, Jesus gives intense assurance. All right, amen, amen, assurance. So here we are, verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does what? He who believes in me. Man, we were talking about dynamics of faith this morning in our Sabbath school class here. Uh, just really challenging. And, you know, what, what, what does that really mean? What does believing in Jesus really encompass? I mean, in the immediate context, you just kind of look at the previous 11 verses. And Jesus is talking about believing in him in a lot of different ways. You know, believing that Jesus is in the Father that Jesus really is God, believing that there is a hope, that He is going to a place that He is preparing for us, etc. Believing that their hopes really are not going to be destroyed and that His absence is not defeat. His absence is instead victory and hope of His return and our homecoming eventually. So what does this believing in, in Jesus encompass? It, believes, it, it, it encompasses all those things, those dynamics of what Jesus has done and what he will do. He who believes in me, most assuredly, verse 12 continues, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, and here's the part where I start skipping, <laughs> the works that I do, he will do also. Hold the phone. (laughs) The works that I do, he will do also. Immediately, I don't know, maybe you're drawing up just this huge gap in your mind. Well, I know what works Jesus did, and I know what works I do. (laughs) All right? Where, Where is, how do I explain this? Jesus, come on. Are you true to your word, or am I not true to your word? And before we get kind of downcast about where we're at, let's just kind of draw some objective observation because there's a link here that we can't miss. And that is that he who believes in Jesus will work like Jesus. Right? You catch that? He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Okay, so what we know is that he who believes in Jesus will work like Jesus. And I would say that this is um, amen, amen, assurance number one. Okay, we're going to go through three of them. Jose, this is point number one. All right. (laughs) Okay. We're going to go through three of them. Those who believe in Jesus do the works of Jesus. Okay, there's a link between belief and working. And I would say it like this, that true believers are actually workers. Yeah. Sometimes we think of belief and trust and faith and this assurance 
that we have in God as something that just affects me, myself, and I. That it just changes the way I view God and I relate to God. But you know what? It actually changes the way we live and work for others. It actually creates or generates in us a life of impact and not just of self-interest. So true believers are workers. He who believes in Jesus will work like Jesus. And so maybe we need to start asking the question, well, what are the works? (laughs) What are the works that we'll do? Because apparently they're works that Jesus did too. You know, in the Gospel of John, again, this is another word study that you can look up through the Gospel of John. Uh, Several times, I think it's uh, close to 22 times that the word ergon shows up. Ergon is where we get the English word ergonomics, things like that. Things that work, doing, uh, deeds, behavior. And so um, I think over 14 times the word ergon refers to a miraculous work. But the rest of the time, it's actually just talking about deeds, the manner of someone's life. Okay? And every time, whether it's just the manner of someone's life or the miraculous works of Jesus, every time those works are mentioned, they're always pointers to some sense of character, identity, or who you belong to. Like in uh, John chapter 8, actually you can flip there with me now, John chapter 8, there's a conversation that Jesus is having with some people who are really not very believing. In John chapter 8, in verse 39... You know, Jesus is kind of going back and forth with some of these religious leaders. In verse 39, if you're there, say, I'm there. Okay. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, well, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the what? The works of Abraham. Like, you would live in such a way, your deeds and behavior would demonstrate who you belong to. Like, what lineage you're a part of, right? In verse 40, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth which I heard from God, Abraham, did not do this and would not do this were he alive then. Verse 41, you do the deeds or works, ergon, of your father. And the implication was, it's not Abraham. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Uh, the father of the devil is what he's trying to say there. Okay, so well, in other words, so works, when we're talking about works, they're demonstrations of who we belong to. They're demonstrations of our spiritual lineage. They're demonstrations of our identity and also the father's identity. Whenever Jesus is doing miraculous works, his works point to the father. His works point to the fact that he is in the father. That's why in 14 verse 11, you can go back, chapter 14 verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. So Jesus' works always demonstrated that he belonged to the Father and the Father belonged to him. His works, whether miraculous or just the manner of his life, were always something that pointed to his relationship with God. And I would say this, it pointed to that relationship in such a way that it led others to that same relationship. So when we're talking about doing the works of Jesus, you know, in John, the goal of Jesus' works is that response of faith. So then, if those are the works we do, whether they're miracles or whether it's just the daily manner of your life in the routine things, the works that you will do will point people to the Father. Do you follow that? Yeah? Does that kind of make it a little bit more within reach? I mean, not to say that we're not going to do miraculous things. I believe God can and does use you and I 
to have saving impact in people's lives. And I tell you what, whether that looks dramatic or not, that is a miracle from heaven. The fact that your unconscious influence even, just through the daily manner of your life, whether in the home circle or outside of that in farther circles, that is making impact for eternity. That is a work of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yeah. And that only happens as we believe in him. True believers are workers. We will do the work of Jesus when we believe in Jesus. Now, verse 12 continues. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. (laughs) And again, this is another one of those like, come on, are you serious? And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. Greater works. What does Jesus mean by this? That I'm going to, you know, resurrect people even, even more far gone than Lazarus. Maybe not just four days dead, but maybe eight days dead. No, is that what Jesus is talking about? No, I think it's talking not necessarily about works that are greater in excellence, but greater in extent and reach. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Hey, look, man, when I leave, when I go to the Father, there's going to be so much more that you can do that I could not do if I remained. That seems kind of counterintuitive, right? Because the rationale for doing greater works, according to verse 12, greater works than these he will do for what reason? Because what? Because I go. Because I'm leaving. I'm out. And that's the reason why we get to do greater works. It seems counterintuitive, but it's a reminder of what happens when Jesus goes. What happens when Jesus goes? Uh, turn, Turn to chapter 16. These are verses that we've read in weeks past. Chapter 16, verse, uh, verse 23. Verse 23 and 24. <clears throat> it says, In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, there it is, Amen, Amen, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. He's talking about, In that day, what day is he talking about? In that day when I'm gone. In that day when I'm resurrected and ascended. In that day, you'll be able to ask anything. Jesus is giving us this assurance. And then if you look even earlier in the chapter, chapter 16, verse 7, this is the kind of, he's spelling it out here. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I do what? That I get out. That I go away. What kind of advantage would that be? For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, if I depart, I will send him to you. So the reason why we're able to do greater works, you know, not not in excellence, but greater in extent, is because when Jesus leaves, he gives us his helper. When Jesus leaves sits on the throne as ascended to the Father at the right hand of God, Jesus is still able to do work not just with us, you know, alongside the 12 disciples, but now in us and through us via the power of the Holy Spirit. That's pretty incredible. That's pretty incredible. Rather than working with his disciples personally, now he is working in and through his disciples more powerfully through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you're seeing this here, 
But in in verses 13 and 14, if you let your eyes kind of just drift a little bit, we'll get to this in more specifics. But notice in verses 13 and 14, who is the one that's doing in verses 13 and 14? Jesus. Did you see it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So yeah, we may be doing great works, but you know why we're doing greater works? It's because Jesus is doing it. It's because Jesus is doing it in us, through us. We're really not doing it. We're just making ourselves available through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. It's awesome. It's awesome. That's what I want to be. I want to be a believer. That's why those who believe in Jesus will do the works of Jesus, because we're not doing it. We're trusting him to let him do it. Yeah. That's, that's first assurance, number one. All right. Number two. Let's get to it. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That's verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, <clears throat> that I will do. Uh, you know, obviously, this is like one of those blank check promises that you think, well, well what can I ask for then? <laughs> you know, should I ask for more wishes? You know, that kind of thing. Um, no, no, no. First, before we talk about what we're asking, and we've talked about that in, in previous messages and stuff, but let me just ask this. Who is asking? You know, who is asking? Who is the you? Uh, sorry, that's not on the screen. Um, who is the you in verse 13? Whatever you ask in my name. In this context, it's anyone who believes in Jesus and is doing the work of Jesus. Right? It's not just someone who's believing in Jesus for me, myself, and I, but who is believing and trusting in Jesus to let him work through us. Whatever those kinds of people ask, that's what he's going to do. In other words, I would say this, that true workers are also askers. <laughs> you like that? True, I don't know if that's a real word. True workers are also askers. So here's amen assurance number two. Those who do the works of Jesus will ask in the name of Jesus. That's just how it is. When you're doing the work, I don't know if you've found this to be true in your own experience, that when you actually start stepping outside of your comfort zone and actually allowing the Holy Spirit to use you rather than you doing your own thing, then you start really asking for more. (laughs) Then you really start sensing your need and dependence upon the Father. And you say, I can't do this. I can't do this. So true workers are askers and they ask in His name. I love that. In that part in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name. We've also talked about this too, but let me just remind us that this is the true condition of asking. That it's not just asking uh, for your personal agenda or for you know, your selfish motivation, but it's asking in the name of Jesus. In other words, <clears throat> I said this a few weeks ago, that when we're talking about praying in Jesus' name, we're actually praying as his representatives. As if we were, you know, when... You know, we, we kind of use, at least I do, customarily, I use, in, I, I pray in Jesus' name kind of as a postscript, you know, the tail end of my prayer. Um, it's kind of like, a, you know, if I were writing out a letter, sending it to the throne of heaven, 5500 Gold Street, whatever, I don't know. Anyways, if I were writing that letter to, to, to the Father, I would be able to sign it, sincerely, Jesus. Does that change things a little bit? That when you're praying, you're not just praying your prayer. You're, you're actually praying Jesus' prayer. 
which is, you know, I don't know if you've actually put this into practice, but I threw out this challenge a few weeks ago. What would happen, how would our prayers change or transform if we started our prayers with this? God, I'm coming to you in Jesus' name. And this is what I want to pray for. What would change about that? You know, when you're praying about, uh, you know, a, a friend who is sick, or, or uh, just a particular need over several months that you're not seeing fulfilled, well, maybe, maybe we can shift a little bit and say, God, I want to pray to you in Jesus' name. If several years ago, there was the phrase, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, what if WWJP? <laughs> what would Jesus pray? What would Jesus pray about this situation or that situation? To pray in his stead, to pray like Jesus would, to pray his goals and priorities, not our own. You know, our ability to really pray like Jesus, you know, drawing this connection between asking and working. I think our ability to pray like Jesus and ask like Jesus is actually contingent upon our willingness to work like Jesus. Because when we're unwilling to actually do anything for his kingdom, when we're actually unwilling to <clears throat> you know, live a life that points others to the Father, uh, we find ourselves limited in being able to pray like Jesus would pray. So true workers are askers. And then notice the tail end of verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. For what end? For what result? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. And this is what I would call the third assurance. That when we're asking, we can ask the Father anything when our aim is to glorify the Father in everything. I, think, I don't know how I set it up here. Those who do the works... Oh, sorry, this is number three. Let's find it. We can ask for anything when we glorify Him in everything. Or if we want to keep going, okay, so we know that true believers are workers, true workers are askers, true askers are glorifiers. Okay, how do you like that one? True askers are glorifiers. The ultimate object and aim in view of all asking, all praying, and all working is to give glory to the Father. It's not just to have a need met. Although we may feel like that's our hope and that's our end result, it's not just for a need to be met. When I heard about Pastor Paul and his condition and stuff, I was praying uh, in the wee hours of the morning because I just couldn't go to sleep. And just, God, do whatever would bring the most glory to your name. When I got onto Facebook and saw however many thousands of people are praying now, For Pastor Paul, I said, God, there are thousands of people in whose hearts you would be glorified were they to see this. We can trust. We can trust. Like Daniel, Shadrach, or not, I guess Daniel wasn't there in chapter 3, but like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I said, you know what? We don't need to answer you regarding this. Whether we die or not, you're going to be glorified. Okay? We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. So even if whatever the need is fulfilled or unfulfilled, we can... Praise God because glory will be given to him. Either way. True askers are glorifiers. Having any other goal, I would say, I'm sorry, yeah, having any other goal is not working and asking in Jesus' name. Right? 
To have any other goal besides giving glory to the Father is not working, is not asking in Jesus' name. It's not the kind of working and asking that Jesus himself will do for us. In fact, um, what is it? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, right? And oftentimes we apply that specifically to eating and drinking. But I would say, let's apply that to praying. Whatever you eat, whatever you do, whatever you pray, pray it all for the glory of God. Pray it all for the glory of God. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, and that sounds good, but you know where that really comes from? To pray for the glory of God? It comes from what we started with. It comes from true belief. It comes from true assurance that whatever would glorify God is actually what I need. Um, there's, there's a really interesting connection. I was reading something uh, by a gentleman named Andrew Murray, who actually was a contemporary um, at some level with, with Ellen White. <clears throat> but he was referring to this verse in John chapter 5, verse 44. And notice the connection between belief and giving glory. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Here in this conversation, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders once again. Right? They search the scriptures because in them they think that they have eternal life, but they're not even coming to him. They're not even willing to receive Jesus himself. And so hey, he's like, how can you even believe since you're seeking the glory of men rather than the glory of God? And this is how Andrew Murray kind of draws the implication. When we seek our own glory among men, we make faith impossible. Impossible. And if faith is impossible, then you know what else is impossible? Work. And if work is impossible, you know what else is impossible? Asking. And if asking is impossible, then again, we're not giving glory. If we seek glory among men, we make faith Impossible. And so how, how is your faith today? To pray for the glory of God in everything is possible only when we're living for the glory of God in everything. And so these are the three assurances. And I love how verse 14, John chapter 14, verse 14, just kind of reiterates, repeats, reconfirms everything that we've been reading. It says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. So what are, these, what are we to do with these three amen assurances? Um, I would just encourage us to take these amen, amen assurances as heart checks today. And as you're engaging prayer on a deeper level, as you're wanting to embrace the privilege of prayer, to know it not just as a routine, but as some, some uh, aspect of your life that you truly live by, because it connects you with the Father. So amen, assur- assurance number one. You know, that true believers are workers. Those who believe in Jesus will do the works of Jesus. Greater works, even, because of Jesus' heavenly ministry, giving us the helper. So here's the heart check question. With this assurance, the question then needs to be, am I a believer? (laughs) Right? That might sound like an elementary question, but truly, am I absolutely assured and trusting in Jesus? Am I a believer? If I really believe in Jesus... I will do the works of Jesus, whether they be miraculous and dramatic or just mundane and the manner of my life. I will do my works to point people to the Father. So am I a believer? 
revealing the Father's identity and character, whether in miraculous ways or in the general manner of my life. That's heart check number one. With the, the second assurance that true workers are, assur- are askers, you know, the reality that we said is that those who do the works of Jesus will ask in the name of Jesus. And I think the, the, opposite, the opposite is true as well. Those who truly ask in the name of Jesus are those who are doing the work of Jesus. Or in other words, maybe we'll learn to work when we learn to ask. When we stop asking, then we'll stop working. And I think, you know, Steps of Christ actually points out the, the opposite too, that when we stop working for others, then, we, then we've lost this true spirit of prayer. Uh, it, becomes, it becomes like that story that we heard about from the adventurers uh, last week, praying with himself. The Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, he was praying with himself, according to the verse there. <laughs> true workers are askers. We'll learn, or sorry, when we work, we will learn to ask. So here's the question, heart check. If the first heart check was, am I a believer? The question we need to ask is also, am I a worker? Am I a worker? Or the reverse of that. There's no true praying in the name of Jesus without passionate working for Jesus. I I, want to let God have the green light, so to speak, to use me to do the works of Jesus so that I can actually pray in the name of Jesus. And then finally, the third assurance that true askers are glorifiers. The heart check question we need to ask is, am I glorifying God in everything? Am I? Am I glorifying God in everything? In my praying and in my living. And if I really live for the glory of the Father, I'll pray towards the glory of the Father. Yeah? If I really do, you know, if that becomes my primary aim in life, that will also be my primary aim in prayer then I won't be, you know, kind of like the Pharisees of John chapter 5. I won't be hindering, making faith impossible by seeking the glory of men rather than the glory of God. So these are the three things I just want to share with us today. And not just at the end of this sermon series, but really as we journey into experiencing the privilege of prayer. How many of us today want to say, yeah, I want to be a believer today. Yeah. And I want to be a worker yeah, I want to be an asker. And if I had a pen here, I'd, you know, you know I want to be a glorifier. Yeah, but, and then that glorifier will somehow affect my ability to even believe too. So there's, there's a full circle here, but let's just surrender this to God. And I, I, I urge you to not just apply these things for you and your personal prayer journey, but I would say this for our church too. I truly believe that God has works like Jesus, for this church to do in this community. And I truly believe that that God wants our church to not just work like Jesus, but to also ask like Jesus. I've been praying some some big prayers for this church, and I know God will do whatever will bring the most glory to his name. So let's, let's surrender this to God, both on an individual application, but also on a community application. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I want to thank you that you've given us these words, red-letter words, that we can live by today. And Lord, we want to live this out both personally and individually, as well as as a family, as a church family. So please, God, use us to do the works of Jesus, to ask in the name of Jesus, 
and to bring glory to the Father just like Jesus. We trust this assurance, this most assurance to us. In Jesus' name, let the family say, Amen.